I feel like I had this kind of epiphany when she was saying you need to remove your assumptions about yeah. what your assumptions are about someone being ambitious or your assumptions mm -hmm. about someone being stable, because we all have different opinions on what that looks like and what that might mean to us. But what's actually needed for the team is a completely different story. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another great episode of Out of the Hourglass. It's our final episode of the year, and we're bringing to you another NCG book club discussion. This time, a look at Radical Candor, Be a Kick-Ass Boss Without Losing Your Humanity by Kim Scott. Facilitated by Sydney Bates, NCG's Member Services and Business Support Coordinator, our team discussion walks through the various themes in the book, what hits home to each one of us, and how we can all be challenged to practice the concept of Radical Candor that being the intersection of caring personally while challenging directly in our own conversations of feedback and guidance. As we think about 2022 and the growth opportunity ahead for us all, we thought this to be a particularly good episode to catapult us out of 2021 and into the new year. We hope all of our listeners have a safe, healthy holiday and wonderful start to 2022. Out of the Hourglass is a podcast channel dedicated to helping small business owners and contractors visualize their goals, develop high-performing teams, and build sustainable growth. It's time to get out of the Hourglass. Okay, I'm here with the NCG team to discuss another one of our books that we read in our book club. This time we are discussing Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Um, so I first wanted to jump in with defining what she means when she says radical candor, what is radical candor? And if I can jump back a little bit, there's actually two versions of this book. So there was one version that was released in 2017 and then the second version, which was released in 2019. And the reason that there was two is because after the original edition, people thought they understood what she said when she meant radically candid, radical candor, but they did not. And they were using it as an excuse to sort of be a jerk for lack of other terms. So if um, someone wants to help me out here and sort of discuss what does she mean when she says radical candor? Brian? Yes, thank you. It's this jerk factor when you don't care personally. What she means is... Um, care deeply personally about the person, and then you can challenge directly. Because when you challenge directly, having already cared personally, and the person you're giving feedback to trusts you. They trust that, that it's in the best. So it's not just about saying what you feel and being like radically candor. It's about caring about the whole person first. I think that was probably the key that she, she emphasized so much. Yeah, and she has that whole quadrant of sort of where care personally is on the top, challenge directly is on the right. And there's three other parts of that. One of the ones that she hits on um, pretty in depth was the obnoxious aggression um, where, uh, Catherine? You know, I think the, the obnoxious aggression, you know, you, you and I had talked about that, right? You know, when she talks about in the book how uh, in in the grand scheme of things, 
the the obnoxious aggression is is horrible, right? People don't like that, but they would rather have an obnoxiously aggressive boss than a ruinously empathetic boss um, because you know where you stand. And that's the problem is people end up being obnoxiously aggressive because at least there's a structure to a conversation, um, which is why the radical candor is important. As, as I was reading it, I was, I was actually looking for that because uh, that connects to other books we've read that uh, so con or, um, conflict without casualties or five dysfunctions talks about be, be just on the other side of conflict. It's better. It's better to be more candid than not. And I, I was, I was glad she, she made that comment. I was oh, trying to figure, I'm oh, sorry. sorry. Oh, I was just gonna, one thing that stood out just kind of along the lines is that um, the obnoxious aggress aggressive person is often promoted um, they're the one who is mm. going to be a little bit more loud and, you know, maybe a leader, if you will, with the air quotes there. Um, and I think that, you know, I think we see that a lot in maybe large companies or, you know, almost like a parody of a large company where somebody starts to move up and, you know, just becomes that jerk of a boss who, you know, doesn't actually care about anybody else but themselves, um, but that often can happen just because of what we just said. You know, it's the person that maybe our society values those traits, if you will, and sees them as like participating and leading, um, even if it might not be in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Brian? I, I was trying to think about um, where I haven't given feedback in the past. And is that because I had ruinous empathy or manipulative insincerity? I was trying to think about this. So, you know, why don't we give tough guidance, right? And there's two reasons why, maybe more. But ruinous empathy is I care so much about them that you're afraid to hurt them so you don't address the issue. Manipulative insincerity is I care how they feel about me, not how I care about them. I avoid guidance that causes them to feel a negative about me. Um, so I'm too, it's, it's, I'm still working through that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that kind of goes into one of her themes of you need to solicit feedback before you actually dish it out. <clears throat> and Colin, I know that was one of your takeaways. Well, that, that was like a light switch in my head. When I read it, I felt so dumb that I'm like, duh. Uh, but like, yeah, in order, like, why would you, give people things that you can't personally first take yourself. Right. Yeah. So you, and people, people are not going to criticize you because you're their boss or give you feedback rather, uh, because they don't want to make a, a, a CLM, which we call a career limiting move. Right. So you have to be the one to ask for it first. Um, and I actually did some digging on, on this and there's a lot of different techniques for ways to get feedback first on some of the, the radical candor, sites they have a really good blog post 11 ways to get feedback from others which i've kind of really uh begun to be a big fan of and dig so that's that was my big takeaway is asking for it first and make it so much easier to give it and, and feeling comfortable in the uncomfortableness of getting that feedback Kyle. right like getting used to it yeah i think also yeah. being able to prepare for the scenarios you're gonna i mean we if you're asking for criticism, you're probably going to hear things that you already know that you've maybe been trying to work on. Then you're probably going to hear some things that are new and uh, you may, might disagree with. And so being able to 
prepare for the scenario of being uncomfortable and I might have to accept something that, you know, I didn't think I was doing. Um, but once you have the criticism, how are you, how are you handling it? If you agree with it, how are you showing response to it? You know, Kim Scott, one of her examples, I think she was called an interrupter and she used, she put on a rubber band onto her wrist. And she said, when I interrupt, I need you to snap it. And she gave permission to many people on her team and she called it the radical bandor. Um, so she like, she connected it and she showed people that she really was taking their criticism to heart. If you disagree, you know, there's that thoughtful conversation you have to have with that person as to how you actually feel and why you disagree. You can't just ignore it and move on. I think also in, in asking for that, um, that feedback from somebody else first, that's kind of shorthand in developing a relationship. So you're being vulnerable and letting them talk to you so that in turn, you hope that that will create a space for them to take what you need to say to them. So like, I think, I think really it came down to um, management is not just you know, handling processes, management, managing people is relationships. And that's, you know, uh, and especially in this era, um, just listening to a podcast this morning, uh, relationships are going to become the key to, to retaining people, to having people excel and, and to having people have like glass door, you know, you want to have good reviews, even if somebody leaves your company because they're going to influence the next person that comes along. So where, where does that lie for you? Whether they're going to stay or go, whether they're going to develop out of what you have, that's going to be key. Right. You know, so I, so in terms of takeaway, I kept thinking about how do we cascade down caring personally into teams? Um, right. How do we get our team leaders to know a lot about their people? and to care about their people. I think that's the real challenge that we have. Yes, Andrew. So uh, Sydney, let me know if I'm, if I'm jumping ahead, but for me, this really connected to her discussion or I really connected to her discussion about the individual contributor yeah. and the different roles. And I, I think for me personally, but also our, our clients that we work with that, valuing the individual contributor, um, not just the leadership track, and that there are other ways to contribute. And for me, it was, uh, Kyle and I, I think it was the same way, like, oh, this, same like, way. I, I should have known this in myself, that I'm, I'm an individual contributor. The management part doesn't come naturally to me, that the, I'm the mad scientist. I'm always coming up with crazy ideas. So the reminder that you know, it, it is relationships that are the key and the valuing not just the leadership track, that maybe there is a craftsman track, there's a mentor track, there's, there's other ways people can contribute and um, finding that, figuring that out. Yeah, you know, my lacrosse coach actually told me that, like in middle school, um, he pulled me off to the side and said, you know, you're not the captain of the team, but you're a playmaker and you're a very important part of the team because you set things up, right? You're not the person that may be scoring all the goals that gets all the, the recognition, but if the team didn't have you on the field, 
those goals would never happen, right? And that goes into that rock star versus superstar thing that she was talking about where there can be people that are behind the scenes doing their job really well, but that doesn't mean that they need to go into management positions. They can be perfectly happy and successful being in that role that they're really good at and they don't want to move up vertically on the org chart. Dee, I know that was one of your takeaways. And I feel like I had this kind of epiphany when she was saying you need to remove your assumptions about what your assumptions are about someone being ambitious or your assumptions Mm -hmm. about someone being stable, because we all have different opinions on what that looks like and what that might mean to us. But what's actually needed for the team is a completely different story. Molly. And I think that there's, it's so it's having that conversation and not making those assumptions deep, but then it's also understanding that people can change from that rock star to that superstar at different periods of their life. For a period of time, they might be really content being that stable person on the team, being that playmaker. And then if an opportunity allows or you know personally allows, they can make that superstar jump. And so, but it all goes back to that communication factor. Are are you having those discussions with your direct reports? Yeah, Catherine. Right. And that's, you know, so it it definitely ties into the uh, concept of an individual development plan. And so when you're when you're approaching the planning for 2022 and you're thinking about your key players, having a personal conversation with about their past, what's happening right now and what their future looks like can be pretty vital to the, you know, the organizational structure and future of the business. And so it's not wasted time to have a conversation like that with people. It's important and hearing those stories and knowing where somebody wants to go and if they want the stability or if they want the growth track allows you as a business leader to make the right decision, an informed decision instead of just a, hey, this is what we're going to do next year. Yeah, Michael? Yeah, I think, you know, to touch on what Catherine just brought up, I really liked where she put some definitions to those calling them rock stars or superstars, you know, rock star being somebody who is going to just perform really well in their current role, but maybe isn't on this like rapid growth trajectory where a superstar is They're you know, they want the next, what's the next thing? How can I get a promotion? And I think too often in many organizations, the rock stars are um, maybe dismissed, um, but we need those people in our organizations. And I think too, she, I think she did a really good job of saying that we, we got to be careful not to like typecast somebody forever, that there's times in our life. She brought up her own life where, you know, when she was trying to have kids and she didn't want to travel around the world and, you know, trying to balance career and growth and ambition with what she was doing personally. Um, and so I thought that was really good that like, you might have somebody on your team who will be a superstar, but right now they're a rock star based on where they are. Um, and make sure you take care of them and reward them and, you know, value them as a contributor. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin. All right. I'll chime in. So I found the book a little frustrating, um, obviously tremendous advice, um, but as a non-consultive approach, since you guys are a lot of consultants, even Mike now, even Mike, you're a consultant now too. Um, the, so first off, she made a lot of mistakes. She talked about all these terrible mistakes that she made. Um, and how things didn't go well. And I guess most of that was when she wasn't theoretically using radical candor correctly. But I, I find the concept hard, and I happen to be fairly candid. 
But I find the concept very hard to really take it to its full degree because you, you have to be really smart and really prepared for what is about to happen when you give feedback to people. I don't know about you, but I've given feedback to people that did not go well. And I got in over my head very quickly and go, why did I open up that can of worms? So I found it to be very ambitious, but I don't know that if everybody just went out and started practicing it, that they'd have great success. I think they'd make a lot of mistakes. So I, I think you have to be really careful. Um, and I do love the concept of ruinous empathy because that's something that leaders do all the time. They, they don't attack problems that need to attack and, they, and the empathy leads the, because they, they become so empathetic about somebody that they end up promoting people and taking them to positions they shouldn't. But it was a very heavyweight book that went on and on and on and I found it to be sort of overachieving or something. Like I couldn't, as radically candid as I thought I was, I couldn't begin to idealize all the concepts here. So I don't know what that does for the rest of you, but not trying to be contrary because I love the book, but I struggled with it as well. Colin, then Michael. Do you have something um, Yeah, well, to, to comment on Kevin, I mean, Kevin just talked about it a little bit, but it was her insight about how you know, giving feedback and the clarity of your guidance gets measured at the other person's ears, not at your mouth, right? So yeah, you, you, can't give, you can't give feedback and view it as a box checking activity. It's that the, that's when the conversation begins, right? And you need to see how they take it. And to Kevin's point, a lot of you might not take it well. So then was, it, was there something wrong with how you gave it would be a question. And obviously you can overanalyze everything, every piece of feedback you give. You're still not gonna give it well all the time, right? But I guess it doesn't mean that you still shouldn't put in the effort in the beginning to how can I best give this? Um, and then obviously watch and adapt based on how they receive it. I do like the word guidance instead of, you know, reprimand and things like that. Because I mean, so much though goes unsaid uh, about how leaders or, or supervisors feel about their people. And if they start by saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to give you a lot of guidance during this process. And even maybe tied into... SL2, situational leadership, how much guidance does this person actually need? And um, so I do like a cadence of guidance because I think that doesn't exist a whole lot. Michael, did you have something? Yeah, I mean, going back to what Kevin said, I think, you know, what really resonated is like getting permission, right? It starts with asking, physically asking or whatever, like, is it okay if I give you some feedback on this? Um, as a manager, sometimes permission is maybe you know, implicit or implied. Um, but I don't, I think we can be, you know, we have to be careful there because somebody might need the feedback, but they might just be in a place where like, you know what, like right at this moment, I'm not ready for that. Can we talk in an hour? Um, and so I think as a manager or a, anybody trying to use this as a framework to Kevin's point, like, I think if we're just, and I think this is why she rewrote the book, right? If we're just running around telling everybody, I don't like your hair and I don't like your shirt and, you know, whatever, that's <laughs> not radical candor. Um, and it's, you know, we need to have that permission. Um, for me, like the thing that I really kept coming back to is in my personal life is like, I want to have friends, right? We all want to have people in our life that make us feel good about ourselves and we love hanging out with, but I need to have are some accountability partners. I need some people in my life that are willing to tell me the things that I don't want to hear. Um, when I get off track, when I'm getting lazy or you know, whatever it might be, I need somebody who's willing to 
like frustrated, you know, maybe upset me and say, look, you're not where you said you want to be. So you might want to fix it. And I might not want to hear that, but I need to hear that. Oh, don't uh, worry, Michael. I'm your man. I, I need you. See? <laughs> so um, along the lines of what Kevin said, I think that the book was trying to kind of capitalize on a lot of different concepts and pushing them all together. And one of the things that I realized, Kevin, with what you said about the feedback piece of it or the guidance piece of it is that, I mean, I'm reading it through a lens of having read crucial conversations and knowing about you know, situational leadership. And so when you have that lens, this kind of, it's the cherry on top. Okay. That's, that's, you know, this is how I can build to apply these things. But if, if you're not well versed in reading somebody and knowing whether they feel safe when you're giving them feedback, it's not going to go well. And, and she tries to tell us how things didn't go well, but it's more like, you know, okay, I did this, but I survived, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, that's not always, sometimes you don't feel like you survived those things very well without a few bruises. So, yeah. Andrew? Yeah, good, good points. I, I agree with Kevin. It, it is a, a tough concept to implement. I can't, I can't help but feel obliged to point out every now and then that bad reaction is confirmation that this person isn't right for the team. So it, it's uh, having, having the, the radical candor plays that purpose as well. Every now and then, that's the case. Colin, did you have something? Yeah, I, I want to I go a little off topic here, but I just want to make sure that we get to it. I definitely agree with what Andrew just said, but... The thing that, that was cemented with me, we talk about it a lot, is the concept of specificity, being specific in your, your criticism and specific in your praise, um, and how you know, incredibly important that is, especially in the praise aspect, because generic praise sometimes can have the opposite effect, right? Do you even know what I did? Um, instead of saying, good job, right? Um, but then it got me thinking about, well, we have a lot of business owners that, are, that are, have you know, huge teams. And how important it is that we have a, a structure in place where one person is not in charge of more than, you know, five to, to the six or seven people's future, right? I, I don't have more than seven people reporting into me because more than that, how can you really be that specific as you need to with the praise and the guidance or feedback that you have to give? It's almost impossible. I, I, I can't keep track of more than seven people and be specific. Um, so that, that was really hammered home. Uh, for me as well. And the other thing around that was the timing. And I've had bad experiences in the past of getting guidance that came six months after when the guidance event happened, right? And how that does nothing because that person was not acting from a, a place of, of caring, right? Um, they were acting from a place of, well, I have to do this. I'm going to be you know, aggressive here and give you the feedback. So if you really do care about someone, you need to give the the guides and the feedback right away. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, did you have something? Yeah, I, I, it's a quick story. And I guess I, I think about this all the time and I heard it basically in this book again. So uh, one time I was giving speeches early in my career and I asked the manager, Tom, he was part of our management team. I asked him to let me know how many times I said, um, 
And after the meeting, it was a PDCA meeting. And after the meeting, he told me it was like 119. And then about a month later, he put together a framed picture and gave it to me at the Christmas party and basically said, here's for saying 119 ums in, six, in, in so many minutes or whatever. And I was mortified. I did not find that to be good radical candor. I was embarrassed, embarrassed. I didn't ask him to embarrass me. I asked him to give me some information, which he gave me a month earlier, and then he used it a month later. Tom's gone now because he wasn't the right <laughs> But it makes me wonder, like I hear that, by the way, I say um now a lot. I hear, it, I hear it all the time when I hear myself speak on podcasts or whatever, and it's no big deal. And then it makes me realize that a lot of the things that I would think about in another employee, maybe they're just things that annoy me. And maybe not things that they the other employee really cares about. Like if I were to go to one of my other workers and say, you know, you say um a lot and, and you use it to your detriment, I don't think they'd want to hear that, want to change it, or really think it would be helpful. So I think it's you gotta be really careful that the information that you're sharing, how you're sharing it, whether it was desired, like like so many of you said, you gotta get permission, like Michael said, you gotta get permission to give feedback. Um, and then be really careful because you've got that person in a really vulnerable position. And if they're accepting feedback, you, you're, you're, you're in a dangerous position that you've got to be right on when you give it. So, Yeah. Andrew? Yeah, just along those lines, a, a topic I just wanted to, or a takeaway that I had, the reminder that it's, it's not the person that stinks, it's the job that stinks for them. Really, you know, puts the, uh, I think puts the frustration in the right place and uh i i know i could benefit from that reminder yeah and you know she was talking about um one thing I, i've listened to some of the things that she's done outside of the book and she really hammers home the fact that the radical candor quadrant is not for putting names in those quadrants right you're not saying this person is this this person is really you know it's this is a framework for your conversation right so it's not about picking people out and saying they are this it's more so this is how i'm going to approach this conversation and from that with the um with listening you know she talks about how to listen as a manager but she also talks about how the one time that you should not listen as a manager is when an employee comes to you talking about another employee Right. And we've we've talked about that um, before in other instances um, where, you know, that's that's a time to say, hey, you know, you should probably go to them and, and talk about um, your your situation with them personally um, and see if you can give them some guidance on that. Molly, did you have something? I did. Thanks, Cindy. Kind of going back to the guidance and talking about, you know, that framework for conversations, you know, and what Kevin was saying is the guidance that you're giving really necessary. Like, do you need to tell that person that they said, um, and it's, it's, she gives a framework for giving the situation, the behavior and the impact. And so if you can think about how you're giving guidance into those three quadrants and you speak the sentence using kind of those three different, uh, hitting those three different cornerstones, you're better off. You're likely going to succeed in giving the guidance versus just kind of personalizing and saying, you know, you said, um, and you might want to work on that. It's not professional, but what's actually the impact of him saying, um, 
is it really like in that matter, like in that situation, does it really matter? Um, so prepare to give the guidance in that framework before you give it so that you know what you're giving is actually worthwhile giving. Yeah. Dee, then Brian. I, and I think that the key then goes back to the relationship with the person and knowing what their trajectory is. If, if this person is saying, um, and they're, they want to become a public speaker, you, you are showing caring. If this person is saying, um, you know, because that's their verbal pause, then when they're just speaking to someone, it probably isn't an issue. But I, I was thinking, Kevin, if we were talking about cursing, you know, if somebody's cursing on the job with customers, that's, that's, a, that's a point at which you can say what your behavior or your verbal you know, your use of words is not appropriate for every ear. And, and it does impact the job. It does impact how they're seen. And so you, you are showing caring, but you have to have that relationship first so that they know it's not personal, that it's not them. You know that they're a caring person. They're just using the wrong words a lot. Well, also, it's true that if they were cursing, they'd be violating some maybe value systems, and that would be a clear call it out, whereas the, you know, the, the little intricacies in someone's conversation are, are not necessarily anywhere near company policy. So your point is really well taken because I see a lot of bosses uh, exercise rudeness, empathy, because they're afraid to even have that really simple conversation about the fact that this is breaking company policy this is not the way we behave, this doesn't fit our value system, when it isn't even close, when some of the other ones might be more personal for like leadership positions versus job, you know, current job employment and your ability to stay in your job. Yeah, Catherine? Yeah, that was one of my takeaways, the, you know, the ruinous empathy at this time, at this culture, cultural time, I can't afford to lose people. So I'm not I'm not going to be direct with somebody. I'm going to kind of, I'm going to coddle them a little bit because I'm a, I'm a little afraid. I'm going to maybe be just a little too extra nice, a little too extra accommodating, um, which ultimately brings bad culture into the workplace. And, and now you end up protecting people's jobs at the expense of your culture and brand. Yeah. Brian, then Michael. You know, the book is a lot like uh, Kev said. She did throw a lot of things in there. Um, so we all have to sort of take pieces of it in life and say, how do we apply? The one thing that I took away from it is how to be a better coach. I think as a coach, they're asking us to be candid. Mike, like you said, hold them accountable. So I, I work on that a lot, uh, at being better at giving that kind of feedback. But what I found is still... Feedback is emotional. So ask permission. Do you mind if I peel that back? Now they're ready, right? So I say that all the time. And I also need to know them, care personally, so they know my, my uh, feedback is genuine and not just something throwing something at the wall. Yeah, Michael? Yeah, I mean, I go back to what Catherine just said. I, I think we have to be really careful right now. You know, we, we always talk about like the phrase, if I, if I train somebody and they leave, and then we say, well, what if we don't train them and they stay? I think we can need to apply that to feedback, to what Catherine just said. Like, I don't want them to leave, so I'm not going to give this feedback. But what if I don't give the feedback and they end up staying? Um, you know, we have to, as managers, be willing to 
like say what needs to be said and they might leave, but that's our job. Um, and I think like, because that's where like the radical candor comes in. It's, I'm not doing this because if I don't do it, I'm selfish. Like to Catherine, what you just said, if I'm worried about, well, if they leave, I'm not, I'm going to not be able to hit my revenue goal or whatever that is, but it's not just about me. I need to tell them what they need to hear for their own career growth. And hopefully they'll respect that. And if they don't, then, you know, I think Kevin brought it up or Andrew, like, then we're going to need to find somebody else who will. Um, and I think you're right, Catherine, like we have to be really careful right now with the current hiring climate that we don't get into this, you know, into the wrong quadrant for sure. Yeah. And Michael, I think that was a, you know, that was a good point to wrap us up. Uh, lots, lots of great content here. And thank you all for your contributions um, for everyone on the call. And our listeners, if you head to radicalcandor.com slash resources, she has about 10 to 15 guides like Colin mentioned earlier. You know, one is the 11 ways for managers to get feedback from their teams that you can check out um, and, and to get ideas on, on how to use this book um, in your company. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business coaching and consulting firm with coaches located throughout the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.